in the next few weeks or months maybe, I'm going to try and look at the one of the most important things in Scripture is the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can look at John 14, where we have Jesus speaking before he was crucified. And he says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go ye know, and the way ye know. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest, and how can we know the way? Jesus saith unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father, but by me. Very important verse that. The only way we can get to God is through the Lord Jesus Christ. We used to sing that chorus, I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. Without the way, there is no going. Without the, the truth... There is no knowing. Without the life, there is no living. I am the way, the truth, and the life. That's what Jesus said. And so we have there the, the fact that Jesus said he will come again and receive us to himself, that where I am, there ye may be also. So we, we know that Jesus is going to come back. The apostles... Just as one example, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. The Thessalonians were expecting the Lord Jesus to come back. They had been told that Jesus was coming back again to take them to be with himself. And some of their people had died. And they were concerned as to what would happen to these people. Would they sort of miss out on the fact that Jesus was coming back? So Paul writing to them says, I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, those which have died, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him for this we say unto you by the word of the Lord that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent or go before them which are asleep for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with the shout and with the voice of the archangel and with the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words and that's why he's saying that comfort each other because they were concerned as to what happened to those who had died 
and the Lord hadn't actually come back because it was a very vital doctrine for these people. They believed sincerely that Jesus was going to come back. And we have the words of Jesus in John 14. And then all through Scripture, all through the New Testament, we have now and again Jesus saying that he was going to come back. In Matthew 24 and verse 29, he's talking about the great tribulation. And then he goes on. He says, immediately after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened and the moon shall not give light and the stars shall fall from heaven and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn for they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. And he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. So Jesus is here talking again about the fact that he was going to come back. And he seems to be going to come back in different ways if you start reading scripture. So we want to work out how Jesus is coming again. We don't know when he's coming again. We have to be watchful and waiting for him. Always to be ready for him. All Christian, and in the broadest sense, talking about Christian uh, churches, believe in the coming again of Jesus in one way or another. Even the Roman Catholic Church believes in this. However, there are a wide number of theories and ideas as to the manner and time of the return of Jesus. And what we want to do in the next few months probably, we hope to look at what scriptures say and see if what we believe can stand up to what the word of God says as we hold it up like a mirror and see if we get the same, if it could stand up to the light of the, glory, the, 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 the word of God. And I hope this doesn't sound too much like a, a lecture, but it has to be like that for the introduction that I'm, I'm going to give uh, today. Just Now, someone may say, I am I'm a believer. I have been born again and Jesus is my Lord and my Saviour. What difference does it make as to what I believe? Whatever is going to take place in God's will and timing will take place. And what I believe about it will not alter the fact in any way. Well, that's true. It will take place as God has foreordained. And if we are God's children, we will be part of God's will and purpose in this future event. However, there are large portions of the Bible, Old and New Testaments, given over to prophecies. Prophecies about the future. 
And I don't think we're meant to ignore these portions and just stick to the pieces of Scripture, such as the pastoral epistles and the Gospels, and in the Old Testament portions like the Psalms and the journeyings of the Israelites, Joshua and Judges and things like that, Ruth. Books, while at the same time ignoring the books which contain large chunks of prophecy like Daniel and Ezekiel and Isaiah and Joel, the, the large sections of those books refer to prophetic times. And I don't think we should ignore those. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable. We may be told that so much error has been taught by various sects and cults through their interpretation of the prophecies. And they've led so many people astray and in fact have been downright dangerous. You remember the mass suicides in the jungles of South America a few years ago. It was a chap called Jones, was it? I think it was. Led by a man who started out, when he started out in his ministry, he, he was fairly orthodox. But then went completely astray and led his followers, followers into a suicide pact. So surely, rather than end up in error, we would be better to steer clear of, of this teaching. In other words, we should not study prophecy because misguided fanatical leaders have made bad use of it. You know, if you were to look at most of the leaders that have led people astray, and in these way out cults and denominations, we discover that most of them claim themselves to have received revelations from God. They themselves claim to be prophets. And the slant they put on the prophecies in the Bible have caused excesses. The problem is that with those who follow such teachers, the people are ignorant of the word of God. And in particular of the prophetic word. And therefore it is easy for these so-called prophets to misguide the Christians into error through the ignorance of the average Christian. If we don't know anything about prophecy and then somebody comes along and starts telling you what his interpretation of it is, you're more likely to accept it. When, where is a man likely to go astray in the secular sense? If he's on, in the path that he continually walks on every day, on a path in which each step is as familiar to him as his, as his own fireside, is he likely to go astray on that path? No. The night could be dark, the way could be intricate, but if he's used to walking on it day by day, he is less likely to go astray when he knows the path. But you know, where paths are unfamiliar, when the way is dark, where one does not know the way but depends on another to lead him through the gloom, then it is all too easy to be led astray into a bog or a byway 
and away from the right path and soon to discover that they have been lured off by a falsehood. Satan will not usually attack people in those areas of scripture with which they are familiar and the truths that they know. But where there are large portions of scripture which are neglected or even not even read by some Christians, then it is there that Satan will use somebody to lead those people astray. By using some skillful, erroneous teacher to expound some truth and overemphasizing a truth, giving it perhaps a private interpretation, his own slant, or by isolating it from its context or from other scriptures, they turn the truth of God into a lie. Paul says in Romans 1.25, who changed the truth of God into a lie. And that's so often the case. Overemphasizing some particular angle or truth, and then you turn the truth of God into a lie. You know, most of these teachers and preachers that you see with these false doctrines, they like to be liked. They're nice people usually. Now there's one other excuse for not studying prophecy that you might come across. Oh yes, I believe in prophecy, but as you know, many prophecies are very difficult to understand and are clouded in mysterious wording. You cannot understand prophecy until after it occurs, and then you can see how wonderfully God has kept his word. This, if shown to people, it will help them to believe in the word of God. Now that's very true. Lots of prophecies, when you, when you see them fulfilled, are very convincing. The fulfilled prophecy does show that God keeps his word. His word will never change, as we have said so often, his word is settled in heaven. When God prophesies something and says something, it will take place. People may be excited when shown this fulfillment, but to say that because it is difficult to understand, that's no excuse for not trying to study it. Now, most people will agree that the book of Revelation is somewhat difficult to understand. But what does scripture say about that book? Does it say, well, it is difficult, so leave it to one side and wait and see if it all comes to pass? This is what the book of Revelation says about itself. First chapter, the first verse, the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave unto him. God gave this revelation to Jesus Christ to show unto his servants, to show unto his servants things which 
must shortly come to pass. And he sent and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. God went to a lot of trouble for the book of Revelation to be written. It was revealed to Jesus. Jesus revealed it to an angel. The angel revealed it to John. And all that was to show unto his servants things which must shortly come to pass. And John, it says, who bear record of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that he saw. Here, look. Blessed is he that readeth and they that hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written therein for the time is at hand. Oh, this message has been given. It's difficult to understand. But... If you read it, you're blessed. And then at the last, at the very end of Revelation, verse 22, it says, Behold, I come quickly. Blessed is he that keepeth the sayings of the prophecy of this book. Really, we should make a special effort to read Revelation and to understand it. In order... To fulfill what God says. We'll be blessed. If we understand it. It is difficult. So God through Jesus Christ. And then our Lord through his angel. And to John. Gave this message. For his servants. For you and for me. Now if God gave this message. For his servants. Then he surely must. Have wanted his servants to know about it. And the only way we can know about it is by reading it and then being guided by his Holy Spirit into understanding it. But we must study it in order to do that. So it's, not, it's no excuse to say, well, prophecies are very difficult to understand because they're written there for our learning. A few weeks ago we were studying in the second epistle of Peter when we were away for the weekend and in 2nd Peter 1.16 he says for we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ but were eyewitnesses of his majesty we, what, we're, what we're, we are following is not cunningly devised fables it's the word of God and we must remember that. Then goes on to verse 19. He says, We have also a more sure word of prophecy, whereunto ye do well that ye take heed, as unto a light that shineth in a dark place, until the day dawn and the day star rise in your hearts. Peter is saying that we would do well to take heed to prophecy. That's what he's saying. It's like a light shining in a dark place. After it had been fulfilled, no, no, no. Until the day dawn and the day star arises in our hearts. Keep on looking at the prophecies, trying to learn them and to understand from them. That's what he's saying. He says it is like a light that shines in a dark place. They're given there for us to study and to learn something from them. 
you know, if truths about the future of mankind have been revealed to us through prophecy, God has placed these uh, prophecies in the Bible for us to learn. And if the truths about the future of mankind are revealed to us through prophecy, then we must be prepared to tell others and warn them of the dangers that lie ahead so that they can flee from the wrath to come. You know, if prophecies of impending judgment of mankind only become clear after that event takes place, well then they're not of much use to mankind. They're certainly not much use to the people about whom the prophecy has forecast ill judgment you know Noah preached and prophesied of the judgments of God which God would bring upon the world the world refused to believe however although the flood proved the truth of God's word through Noah those who refused to obey the words of that prophecy perished in the flood through unbelief they were given the opportunity. Now, if, they had, if Noah had just built the ark and not told them about it, that would have been tragic. It was tragic in any case because they didn't believe, but they have no excuse because Noah preached righteousness to them and warned them of the judgment to come. Now, as we study God's word, it is, of course, important that we must believe that it is the inspired word of God. That's the most important thing. There's no point in us studying the word of God if we do not believe that it is the word of God. See, the problem is today, in the professing churches, we have become lukewarm. In Revelation chapter 3, speaking to the church at Laodicea, which is a type of the church of today, God says, I know thy works, that thou art neither cold nor hot. I would that ye were cold or hot. Oh, we all know what that means, you know. Somebody who is neither one thing nor the other that won't make up his mind one way or the other neither cold nor hot so God says to this church because you're lukewarm neither cold nor hot I will spew thee out of my mouth I'll vomit you spit you out of my mouth that's what it means because they were neither one thing nor the other you say, I'm rich and increased with goods and of need of nothing. And you don't know that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. And he goes on to counsel them to buy from me gold tried in the fire that their mayest be rich, white raiment, 
the, to be clothed in the righteousness of God. The righteousness, the robe of righteousness which we get when we become Christians and we are clothed in Christ's righteousness. That our eyes will have eye salve on them, that they may see things as Jesus sees them. See people as he sees them. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Be zealous, therefore, and repent. And this is the attitude. This is, I know we use this verse here for uh, as a gospel outreach. But here it is addressed to the church. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. Oh, he wants to have fellowship with these churches, the church at Laodicea. And I'm waiting for you to open the door so that I can have fellowship with you. There's nothing worse than something lukewarm. Or a person or a church being lukewarm about their beliefs. Neither one thing nor the other. They'll accept everything, whatever comes. To such a church, God says, I will spit you out. What a condemnation. So we must believe that it's the word of God that we're studying. The truth of God's word is challenged by many. And by many church leaders today. And this very book of Revelation, which what does the Rowan Williams, the Archbishop of Canterbury, say about it? Here's what he says in one of his books. And remember, I'm speaking of the revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave to him to show unto his servants the things which would shortly come to pass. And he sent them and signified it by his angel unto his servant John. And that's what we're talking about. Rowan Williams says, The book contains two scripts, one with a clear and haunting authority, but the other, tightly written, pen driving into cheap paper, page after page of paranoid fantasy and malice, like the letters clergymen so frequently get from the wretched and disturbed. He goes on. The rantings of John the Divine about his theological rivals are part of the byproduct of the very vision of the living one that shows these ravings for what they are. By showing the radical and unconfined purpose of God in Jesus Christ. The rantings of John the Divine. But he's not alone. Many, many other leaders reject the total inspiration of the word of God the net result of casting doubt upon the word of God is that the deity and person of the Lord Jesus Christ is then attacked that's the next serious error which is then accepted once you start cutting away at the foundation of the inspiration of scripture then the whole thing begins to collapse. I know of one dear old man, he 
He's in his 90s now. And he served in church services for years. But he doesn't believe in the virgin birth. Sad. We live in an age of apostasy. All of this apostasy leads us and encourages us to look at prophecy. To see if this situation which you're in today, to see and in the world today, to see if it is in any way prophesied that this was going to take place. And we'll see that there are distinct prophecies which show us that this type of thing which is in the world today is prophesied in scripture. And so with this, this, in, this long, <laughs> but I feel important introduction, we can start to begin to look at the truth that Jesus is coming again. But then I had another thought as I did this. Before we look at the scriptures, we must take a quick look at what is generally accepted by many churches today. Roughly, the most commonly accepted interpretation about Jesus and him coming again is roughly this, that the unfulfilled prophecies and promises contained in the Psalms and in the Old Testament generally, since the crucifixion, now refer to the church church of Jesus Christ these prophecies were made to Israel but now that has changed they are now the church has now replaced Israel the church as the spiritual Israel has taken the place of the nation of Israel to whom the prophecies were made in the first place and these prophecies are now to be taken spiritually. Where they refer to Israel, they are now to be taken to refer to the church and to be taken spiritually. These will be brought about by the gradual spread of the gospel, thereby bringing universal peace and prosperity, following the universal triumph of the gospel. They believe that the gospel is going to spread throughout the world and this gospel will be preached and it will bring universal peace. This is generally accepted by most of the churches. This worldwide dominion of truth and gladness is presumed to be the thousand years during which Satan will be bound and the saints reign with Christ. There are those who believe that at this particular time Satan is bound I'm just telling you what is taught it is believed that at the close of this time another brief outbreak for a short time Satan on the earth and the world is destroyed there will be a general resurrection of the dead and of the living good and bad they will be judged before the great white throne that at that general resurrection every person from Adam right through 
to whenever it takes place will be presented before the great white throne. Every person from Adam will be judged at the great white throne. Those who have done good will go to heaven and those who have not will end in hell. Eternal punishment in hell. That is roughly one view. There's another view, not generally accepted, is that the Old Testament prophecies and the promises made to Israel were, unless obviously figurative, are to Israel, are, are to receive our total fulfillment. They are to be totally fulfilled in relation to Israel and not to the church, that when God made promises to Israel in the Old Testament, they still refer to the nation of Israel. And not, as the other school of thought says, those prophecies now refer to the church. I hope I'm making this clear. That the New Testament does not contain any references or promises to the universal spread of Christianity. The other school says that the, the, the gospel will spread throughout the world and bring in this era of peace and prosperity. The, this school says that the New Testament does not contain any references or promises of the universal spread of Christianity. Rather, it says the exact opposite. In the midst of such prophecies, however, the church has the promise of Jesus returning for his church. He will return to the air and the church will be caught up to meet him. And at the same time, the first resurrection will take place of the dead. The dead in Christ shall rise first. After seven years after that event, during which there will be great tribulation on earth, the Lord will, will return with his church with his saints and set up his millennium reign on earth for a thousand years Satan will be bound Israel will be restored and Christ's dominion will be established on earth at the end of the thousand years Satan will be loosed there will be a rebellion against the king Jesus this will be defeated the world will be consumed. The judgment of the wicked dead only will take place at the great white throne. There will be a new heaven and a new earth and so on. And that is what we will endeavour to look at through the scriptures in the next few weeks and months. We look at the prophecies in the Old Testament and in the New Testament to see how, what they say and how they affect the subject. We look at the words of Jesus. Jesus had a lot to say about the end times, in Matthew in particular. We look at the parables relevant to this subject. There are lots of parables which talk about a king going away and coming back to receive his king, having received his kingdom and coming back and parables like that and we will look again at what the apostles say in their epistles as to about the coming of the Lord 
There's a lot to be. There's a lot in the Old Testament about the millennium and the reign of Jesus on earth, and that's what we're going to do. And I hope that has been a bit clear. And in some ways, I hope it whets your appetite for what we will look at in the next few months. And we'll we'll try, and we only can say, "May God help us." to study his word and to learn something from it because that's the wonderful thing about scripture as we were saying last week looking at psalms you can look at a psalm and you can let it again tomorrow and God will show you something completely different that you didn't see the first time and that's what we hope as we look at God's word we're, we're not out here to criticize other people all we want to try and find out is what scripture teaches and what it says not out here to, to try and gain points in one group or another. All we want to do is to, to have to know what we believe and to stand for what we believe. Because, as we've said so many times, if we don't stand for what we believe, we will fall for anything. So God help us, we pray. Amen.